With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's always soccer on a Thursday afternoon. Kevin Kincaid and Baxter in Fishtown and on the phone with us live. Well, he's not live because you're listening to this on tape. This is a podcast, after all. A friend of the program, Mr. Matt George, the sports doctor, MD himself. Matt, what is up, man? Not a, well, uh, a little bit too much this week on the soccer front here in Philadelphia. But other than that, uh, it's been a good week. We'll talk about soccer in a second, but first got to ask you what your assignment is tonight. Are you doing, is it swimming? Do you have some softball, maybe a track and field event out there? Now, today, today is a lacrosse day here in southeastern PA. Today is District 1 final, so there'll be, uh, there'll be some lacrosse action that I'll be watching for the next several hours. It's always PIAA in Philadelphia or Westchester, but we're going to, we're going to talk. It's always lax in Delco. (laughs) That's right. And we're not just talking about bowel movements, but, um, (laughs) so let's talk about, well, speaking of bowel movements, um, we are, we, there might be a cleaning out, uh, of the Philadelphia union front office, uh, depending on what happens with Ernie Stewart, who is rumored to be uh, taking the U.S. uh, national team general manager job, which isn't really a job yet. There isn't one of those, so we don't really know what they do. Um, So I don't know. You tell me. What do you think? What are you hearing? What do you you know? Well, uh, we know that Ernie Stewart is still in Philly. He's been there at training all week. Uh, He's still, I I suppose, engaged in in his current job. Uh, But Looking at the reports that have come out and um, some people I've talked to in the organization and I think just the way that the organization has handled this, it feels like this is something that's real and something that has legs and can get over the finish line. And, uh, you know, I'm at the point where I think I would be surprised if Ernie Stewart was still with the union this time next week or or next month. Um, He's obviously a good candidate for that U.S. soccer job. It obviously meets his ambitions and what he said he wanted to accomplish when he came back to the United States um, from the Netherlands to take the union job. Uh, It's maybe a little bit more accelerated of a timeline for when Ernie maybe wanted to step into the national team and certainly for when the union wanted to uh, part ways with Ernie, if that's what comes to pass. But a lot of things have gone as not as planned in, in recent months for the U.S. national team. And they do need to get someone into this job, and I think Ernie is a, a good candidate for that job. So are we saying then, I mean, because it th- I, I think the reactions from union fans are kind of like two things. Number one, they're saying, uh, well, what now? Does this guy even care about us, or was he? It was it just a stepping stone to the next job? Um, I think Ernie always kind of made that his intention, right? I mean, we always thought he was coming back with a greater ambition for a, for a U.S. job. Um, but number two, people are saying, well, what did he really do here? You know, did he improve his resume or do anything amazing in Philadelphia um, that made him a great candidate? Did he do anything better than what he did at, at Alkmaar? Well, I don't know that he did. I don't think that uh, – I 
trust that Ernie's, I think, intentions were in the right place. And I think he came here with the full intention of improving this club. And he has done some things that are maybe more behind the scenes and maybe more on, on kind of the back-end operational side that have been helpful. That said, if he, proves, if he turns out to be leaving now, he's going to leave behind some hurt feelings here in Philadelphia. And I, I don't think this is a case of someone coming to Philly and doing a great job and then, oh, wow, he's done such a great job, he's earned his way on to the next thing. I don't think that's the way that fans necessarily view this. And they have a reason not to view it that way. You're talking about one playoff season that had an identical record to the next non-playoff season where they were never competitive in the playoff race. You have a team now that's seventh place in the East and it is nothing, probably nothing more than a middling team, although that still remains to be seen. So there's plenty of reason for fans to not exactly see this as one of their own stepping up to the next level because I don't think that Stewart has done a ton of things here. What I find interesting, and I was having this conversation with other people in the media today, is that when Ernie Stewart's first job, when he was first time, uh, first floated for this job with U.S. soccer, I thought to myself, he'd be a good fit. But one area in which this job would not allow him to use his skills was in how he uses the markets. And he mm-hmm. made a name for himself at Alkmaar in being able to play the markets really well, to develop talent, to sell it high, to buy low, coach up talent. He did all those things very well. I thought, well, if he goes to a national team setup, he's not going to be able to use those skills because it's the U.S. The players that you have are the players that you have, except for a handful of guys that you can convince to come into the team. Yeah, yeah. And, and, And yet, in his time with the union, he has not done well working the markets in the least. So that's just one aspect of how I think Ernie Stewart's time here with the union, if it is about to come to an end, is very perplexing. Right. I think anything that was market related with the team ended up being kind of, uh, you know, really not that impressive. You know, you go down the list of foreign signings that he's had or, or bigger, uh, you know, like domestic moves that he's made. And, and I, I, I came up with the list on Twitter yesterday, you know, Jay Simpson, you know, Anderson, Ilsenio, uh, Bedoya, who was technically, they tried to bring him in, Albright and Curtin tried to bring him in the year before. Roland, right. Al, Roland Alberg, uh, Giliano Wijnaldum, Harris Madunin, Doge Call, uh, Fafa Pico, Aguchi Onyewu, uh, David Akam, uh, the Charlie Davies and Latou trades. You know, I mean, I don't, there's some decent players in there and a couple who the jury's still out on, but I mean, does anything from that list really, really jump out at you or, or, or are we, or, or were the U S people always kind of looking at Ernie, you know, bridging the gap between, you know, a still young Academy and getting debuts for guys like, like Derek Jones and Anthony Fontana and McKenzie and trusty, like how, how much of that goes to Tommy Wilson and Richie Graham and, and everybody who existed here before he came, you know, it's kind of hard to, to know what he gets credit for and what he doesn't get credit for. Yeah, that's a, that's a really difficult question, and I think he deserves some credit for accelerating the timelines on certain guys. On Austin Trusty, you could argue that maybe Mark McKenzie and uh, guys like Anthony Fontana, talents that back in the day would have maybe looked for greener pastures outside the union team, outside the union first team. They might have gone elsewhere, or they might not have gotten to the first team as quickly. And I think he does deserve some credit for that. I think he deserves certainly some credit for helping the union articulate 
a better organizational philosophy and what they're looking for and, and those kinds of things. But it, it definitely is an open question. You that that list that you tweeted yesterday, there are more misses than hits on that. Yeah. And yeah. to to really to dovetail that into a larger conversation that you, me and Dave have had on many occasions, this is a case of Ernie Stewart. He will have if he's leaving the union, he will have left the union in a better place than he was when he arrived here, regardless of where the team is. Yeah. And that's something that not many players do at the union. It's not often that someone comes to the union and gets built up and then leaves for a greener pasture. But Ernie has found a way to do that, and that's a little bit odd in the in the past history of this club. Of course, I should remind everybody before we get even further on it that nothing is official yet. I mean, there's just reports that he's probably going to take the job or he's like the, in negotiations for whatever. I mean, for all we know, it could fall apart and he could come back. But it's interesting to talk about nonetheless because I think this is probably an, an, an inevitability that he's going to go somewhere anyway. But to your point of, of, you know, I've heard people say that, you know, are the union better now than where they were before Ernie came on board. And while you look at the point totals and the and the lack of trophies and playoff wins and stuff like that, I mean, sure, you could say it's stagnant there and nothing's really changed there. But I, I guess the way I would describe it is that they it feels like they're a little bit more buttoned up. Um, you know, they have the, that pipeline from, from the academy to steal to the first team is established now. Uh, Ernie pointed out that they had, like, no scouts or really any connections when they came in. I mean, like... They got off the the friggin' bus wearing suits and stuff like that. It's like I, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to describe kind of like those small things. But you you said like ba- I think you used the term back end. You know, it's like this. It feels like the website's running a little bit smoother, but you're not really sure why. You know, even if the page that you're looking at, the front page looks exactly the same. I just think from an operational standpoint, I think they're more seasoned and they know what they're doing. Um, but as far as tangible stuff, I mean, it's just hard to quantify that for the average fan who doesn't see much change. And it's hard to quantify how many of those improvements are things that would have happened whether or not he was here. I think yeah. some of the talent coming out of the academy, you still place probably the primary credit for that to someone like Richie Graham, who's invent- invested so heavily in YSD. And I think some of these guys would have been coming to the forefront regardless of that. And some of the other aspects of trying to modernize systems and processes, that was something that was going to be necessitated uh, by the competition one way or the other. Now, maybe Ernie is better at convincing Jay Sugarman um, to do that, but, you know, it, it, that that's still not all his doing. And um, the one thing that I think is interesting in all this, and I really want to hear your thoughts on this, yeah. is that when Ernie was hired... That was the first time that we really saw Jay Sugarman assert his control over this club on the soccer side. Uh And this is my guy. I'm going out to get him, and he's going to run things. And it was Jay kind of stepping out of the shadows a little bit. And now if Ernie moves on, he's going to have to do that again. And it'll be interesting to see what the next move from him is going to be in this entire process. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, you know, Richie Graham was a big catalyst in all that, too, you know, because he went over uh, or he talked to Ernie and he was kind of the guy who knew him and he was the person who kind of you know, introduced him and Jay and got the ball rolling on all that. Um, you know, the impossibility with all this stuff, too, is that there's so many different it, – it's hard to know who to attribute specific things to. Like, for example, like 
Um, I th- I remember hearing like Brendan Burke had some kind of like or first saw Noguera, who was signed by John Hackworth, right? And then right. Tranquillo Barnetta, his connection to the union was Oka Nikolov. And Oka Nikolov's right. connection to the union was Nick Sakevich. Sike- you know, right. so did Nick Sakevich in a weird way sign Tranquillo Barnetta? You know, Keegan Rosenberry, obviously, when Ernie came on board with the draft, um, how much of that was Jim just saying to to Ernie, hey, we really like this kid. He's been in our system for a while. And then, for example, you know, like Chris Albright was the one who went out and scouted Jay Simpson, you know, went, right. went over to England and visited him. So, I mean, I guess and, I guess is it fair to just, the, just put the all of time, like all the stuff with steel? All of that's, uh, you know, and obviously that's an important part of the pathway. Yeah. But all of that stuff was still put was put into motion while Nick Sakevich was still here. So yeah. that's not necessarily a, a quote-unquote Ernie accomplishment either. So it does become very difficult. And the fact that it's so difficult to try and figure out what exactly he did here that was so beneficial, I think that speaks to speaks to the legacy a little bit if, if yeah. we're now at the point of having to account for his legacy. Um, two more Ernie questions, then I'll, I'll hit you with one more, and then I'll let you go. Um, number one, what did you make of Ernie's kind of language to the fans from those uh, town hall meetings? Uh, you know, and I'm talking about him him saying like, you know, don't come here expecting to win uh, us to win every game, and you know, defending Jim Curtin kind of passionately and kind of scolding the fan base. But number two, when you and I were in those scrums, and you know, we were asking him like. What do you mean the team can't play a four four two? And him saying stuff like, "Well, it's hard hard enough for them to figure it out." I mean, like in his exchanges with the fans and the media, did he help himself? Not abundantly. I mean, I think Ernie has always gotten the benefit of the doubt because of his track record, and he certainly deserves that because he has been a successful soccer executive overseas at multiple locations. It wasn't just a fluke. He has stepped in and done really impressive things at small market clubs, and he has proven a track record to do that. And so I think when he came over, he was given that latitude. And there's a fine kind of balance for him to work there between him bringing a European mentality, but also being able to assimilate to a certain American sensibility. And that I think some of those statements spoke to a dissonance that he had of, you know, you can't tell people. You can't really tell people. Well, don't expect us to to do much this year because that's that's not how this works. Yeah. You know, it's difficult. It's that's a difficult sell, and it, you know, fans don't want to hear that. And there's been times where, not that he took things lightly, because I don't believe that Ernie Stewart takes many things lightly. He's an extremely thoughtful and intense person about his business, but they, they it, something about the emotional resonance does didn't line up and maybe it's it's too simplistic to say that he just didn't quote-unquote get philadelphia in some ways mm-hmm. but there there always has been that little bit of tension there uh, and i don't know that it's necessarily gotten all that much better okay so if ernie leaves uh then what do you go to did you get do you get ollie curtis on the phone do you give chris albright up up make him the guy again or do you go elsewhere i mean what where do they go from here if he takes off I would think that you would go to somebody who is, uh, to use a Jim Curtin line, an MLS effective person, and Ollie Curtis <laughs> certainly fits that bill. Yeah. Um, Wait, let me ask you: Do you know where? Do you know where Ollie is specifically from? I, he's from Philly, but I can't really find any background about where he grew up or what he was involved with here. I don't know. Um, I, I know that he's traveled. A, I, I always kind of associate him 
with kind of just the northeast of the U.S. generally is where he had his upbringing. Yeah. Um, but I, I honestly don't know offhand. So we don't know um, if we don't really know if he's Philly tough or local local enough, right? Yeah, I mean, he might be like Philly by association. Okay. Um, all right, all right. So that that might be uh, that might be worth something. Um, but well, I, the re- I mean, I guess the main main point of that is like you would, you would think that theoretically he would give more of a shit if it was if there was like the storyline like, hey, I'm coming home, you know. Yeah, and I think he's he's someone who's a pro and who's obviously done great things at Red Bull in his time there, uh, despite some you know differences of opinion. I'm sure at times in that front office. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also would be you know whoever's going to take this job would be stepping into all things considered an an okay situation. I mean, you have a situation where you've got some young talent, you've got a roster that's not bad. I mean, you have. Your, your highest earning player is someone that if, if it doesn't fit the new general manager system or preferences can be gone at the end of the year. Your third highest earning player is Jay Simpson, who's got probably at least one foot out the door. Your fourth highest earning player is Harris Medujanine, who's on the old side, and I'm not sure if his deal's up at the end of this year, but I'm sure that there's some flexibility there. Yeah. Uh, although he, he should be someone that you want to keep around. So... Yeah, the pockets aren't deep, but there is at least a little bit of flexibility in the roster. Last one for you. Um, Union have won two games in a row. Uh, You know, it seems to me like some people are like, yeah, okay, maybe they have a chance. Maybe they can challenge for a playoff spot. The other half are like rolling their eyes because they just want the team to be bad enough that changes are made. So I don't know. What's the sense you're getting from from being around down there? Are people like cool with a couple wins or do they just want to kind of bomb out from here and see something change? I mean, they they have an opportunity to to change their narrative this season. They have games where they have the potential to go in and win games that maybe we in the media say they quote unquote shouldn't, and they have that opportunity to do that. And yes, in the past they haven't done that. We've said that for years, where they have the opportunity to go win these games and change the the viewpoint of what they are as a team, and they haven't done it year after year. And if you were probably a rational person or a betting person, you would look at their track record over the scope of years and say, all right, they're probably not going to be better than this team or this team or this team. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, they do have the opportunity to change that course. They they have some guys that are playing well. I think they've started to figure out the way the midfield should work. Uh, Boric Dochkov has looked really good the last couple of weeks, and he's got some good attacking chemistry. I think Alejandro Bedoya is playing the best soccer that he has in his time with the Union. Yeah. Buffa was good last week. Well, You're still not getting goals, but if you're able to, in the summer, get someone like Jay Simpson, who hasn't played hardly at all this year off the books and bring in another striker, maybe you can spark something in the middle of the year. You've got really encouraging things from Mark McKenzie and, and uh, Austin Trusty in central defense, so you never know. If... if the union win enough games that they're not supposed to win then all of a sudden that changes the conversation they've got a big hole to climb out from because of what they did early in the season and all those drop points at home but it's 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 unlikely but it's not out of the realm of possibility which is you know maybe maybe not a reason for a lot of people to trek it down to chester on next wednesday night for the chicago fire game but it's it's reality all right, Matt. Thanks as always, man. Appreciate it. Oh, uh, I forgot to ask. Were you um were you the snarky Twitter hero that Jim was referring to? 
Uh, I, I like to think that I was. Um, I certainly, and, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I, I will I will raise my hand and say that I was one of the people that was um, very snarky about Boric Dochkal early in the season, and I've proven <laughs> to be uh, fairly wrong on that because he has played better. And um, so, yeah, I was probably a, a, a little harsh on him early in the season and uh, unfairly so in ways that if, if he dug up some old tweets might not look good if he continues his current form, but... Um, I like to think I was one of the front runners in the snarky Twitter hero uh, sweepstakes. Well, there you go. And I mean, the dude's the highest paid player in franchise history, so it's it's not unreasonable to expect him to to produce. But hey, that's just my opinion. All right, man. I know you got to go do uh, lax, but thanks for jumping on, man. Appreciate it as always. And uh, maybe I'll I'll see you in person one of these days. Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty of seats in that press box. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you. All right, thanks, Kevin. All right, we're going to get to your questions, comments, and concerns, and we'll see if Baxter has anything to say. Uh, but first, uh, we're going to do a, a reading of mean, mean Crossing Broad soccer comments. So let's get that music going right now. All right, these are in response to uh, the story that I wrote this week. Uh, the Philadelphia Union are doing what they normally do, which is to say that, you know, they, they win some games right about now and they stay afloat and they make everybody believers for a little bit um, before they kind of crash and burn. This one's from Alpha Male. He says, not trying to be a dick, but I seriously had no idea that the MLS still existed. I thought it was a fad from 1996. I'm sure it's cool, though. Uh, Soccer Sucks responds. He says, I, for one, am glad the crossing board had their priorities straight and is covering such a popular sport like soccer. I mean, I really enjoy watching two hours of these one nothing games, corrupt referees, and sandbagging pratfalls. Uh, it's a lot better than covering, say, cornholing darts, uh, tiddlywinks, or jacks. Soccer ranks maybe ninth in sports that Philly is interested in. That one had at least eight or nine spelling errors in it. Uh, this is from Kyle and Russ Discuss. Four words that make any pod on listen. Oh, this doesn't have anything to do with soccer. Okay. Um, let me see. This guy says, I thought a legit number 10 was going to solve everything. Maybe a number 12 will help, or maybe it won't. Uh, the Croydon Cowboy says, yeah, the Union are doing what they normally do, not winning a championship. And uh, Colin Henderson says, I love the I hate soccer post. I guess you have nothing better to do with your time. It just makes me laugh at you. All right, well, thanks, Colin. Colin had our back for that one. All right, let's see. I think there was a couple other ones on Facebook, too, so let me see what I can find there. All right, this one's from Jim Miller. He says, uh, the five union fans rejoice. Uh, Nick Santangelo says, they're doing what they always do, getting ignored by 90% of Philadelphia sports fans. Um, And that's about it. We only have two. We only had two haters on Facebook. So that's it uh, for this week's uh, episode. It's uh, this week's uh, segment of Mean Crossing Broad uh, soccer comments. Let's shut the music down and we'll get it on to your questions and comments and concerns. And we're going to start it off with, let me find out where it is. I got this Arby's tweet in here. Okay, here we go. Uh, Luke McClung is going to start us off. Who should feel worse about their union jersey purchase, me with my David Akam jersey or uh, AJ McClung getting a custom Ernie Stewart jersey? Uh, the answer is that you should, you should both feel really bad about that. 
<laughs> um, oh, Union Hulk is checking in. Okay, Union Hulk. Baxter, you want to read this one? Okay, no, he doesn't want to read this one. Is there any chance, of course, this is all in capital letters as always, is there any chance that Ollie Curtis comes to town once Ernie decides he wants to fart all over the U.S. MNT fan base instead of the Philadelphia Union fan base? Will anything change with the, or will Hulky still be weeping and drunk tweeting at Peter Crouch at 3 a.m.? <clears throat> no, I think, I think anything changes. I think Union Hulk... Uh, we'll still be weeping and drunk tweeting at Peter Crouch at 3 a.m. Uh, Big Mac in Delaware says, who will lead the search for Ernie's replacement if he leaves? And how fast can a replacement be named? And how quickly would Curtin be fired? Uh, would the number one scout still be YouTube? Uh, I mean, it's a good question. Who, yeah, who, who, who finds the replacement? Because like, we, like I said to Matt, like we were talking about, you know, Richie Graham was the catalyst to get Ernie here in the first place. So, um, you know, Jay Sugarman probably sits down with Richie Graham again. Maybe they get some of the other owners involved. I don't know how how much they know about the soccer side of things, but I imagine that's all of who it could be. You're not going to involve Chris Albright and Jim Curtin, are you? Because they're below that position. They report to that position anyway. Um, and if they would involve them, it would say a lot about how they feel about them, obviously. So it's Richie Graham and Jay Sugarman. Uh, Craig says, how will the union compete with big market teams like Nashville and Cincinnati? Uh, it probably won't. John Harris says, does a person have to use English words like pitch, uh, kit, touchline, dressing room to sound like a real fan, or can they use field, uni, sideline, locker room? Um, I think there is no debate football versus soccer for pragmatic reasons. I think a slightly different dialect is okay. No, I've, I've always said use the American terms. I mean, it's, it's you know, are the... This sport does have a history in this country. We don't need to be modeling everything after other people in other countries and stuff. Who cares if, if people, you know, people get all bent out, bent out of shape because you say, like, uh, you know, sidelines or stuff like that instead of touchlines. Who the fuck cares? We're all talking about the same thing anyway. Uh, but the best part about it is that when you're a writer, it gives you another set of uh, synonyms to use, you know? So you avoid redundancy, you know? So that's, a, that's how I see that. Uh, Rich Ellis says, is Ernie leaving in the exact midpoint of a five-year plan, uh, just the front office version of that so union? Yeah, I mean, it is kind of corny. I mean, he made it sound like this was a long-term thing that they were building up. I don't, I don't think anybody would be surprised if he left, but it still doesn't change the fact that he sort of made it seem like they were going to, uh, you know, kick this thing down the road and, and look to turn a corner. You know, it was, it was like a year and a half ago that he said, you know, expectations were unrealistic, you know. So when were expectations going to be realistic? Obviously, that probably didn't matter at all to him because he was going to peace out uh, when the opportunity came up anyway. So Paul Blessing says, could Baxter manage this team to the playoffs? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He's not very talkative, as you guys well know. Uh and who starts an MLS match sooner, Derek Jones or Jay Simpson? God. Uh, well, I hope it's Derek Jones. I don't know what the hell's going on with him. I guess it's like a work ethic, like we're going to teach you a lesson, kind of you got to earn it thing. But it just looks bad because they, you know, blew sunshine up everybody's butt last year with the Derek Jones. We promoted the first kid from the academy. To Bethlehem Steel to the first team, rah, rah. This is so amazing. We have this going now, this pipeline or whatever. Now he's just pulling a, a Keegan Rosenberry in year two and just sitting on the bench or not even making the bench, really. So just looks bad all around. They got they got to find a better way to handle that kind of stuff because I understand you, you know, you, you, you got to manage the players and you have to keep everything in line. You don't want people to get a big head and you want them to work hard and, and stay grounded and stuff like that. But at the same time, you can't have a talented guy like Derek Jones, you know, being irrelevant, you know. Uh, Je Jesse Lawrence says, uh, 
who has better movement off the ball, Baxter or Akam? Uh, it's well right now in this right here right now. It's probably Baxter. Um, you know, at the dog park, he does a lot of movement too. He runs around like like a maniac and just like he doesn't like do anything bad to other dogs. He just gets them so riled up that everybody gets like kind of bothered, and then like a fight breaks out. And we got to separate them. So, uh, Alex Armstrong says, "Do we feel bad for Jay Simpson?" I do. Um, yeah, I mean, I I do. I do. You got to go back to the beginning of this thing. I mean, like, people got to remember that he was a starter last year coming into the season. You know, CJ Sapong was not. So that's why all the stuff that, that Jim and I were yelling at each other about, uh, there's more that went on in the in the hallway after that thing last year, you know, as far as CJ. Like, they, they, they didn't trust CJ at the beginning of last year. He wasn't the starter going into last season. They benched him. They tried to find an upgrade for him. And to CJ's credit, he outplayed – you know, that upgrade, but only when the upgrade went down injured after scoring a goal. I mean, I think people forget that, you know, it wasn't that Jay Simpson like lost his job because he was terrible. Uh, He was injured and that's why he came out of the lineup and CJ just went on a tear and it was impossible to take CJ out of the lineup. Um, But Jay Simpson was never a 4-2-3-1 player. Um, You know, you see some moments from him, but now when they put him back on the field afterwards, he's looked terrible. So I don't know. I, the guy hasn't done anything to help him. So it's the same with every other union player, executive, anybody associated with this franchise over the last 10 years. He hasn't done anything to help himself. But that doesn't mean that he's being put into the wrong system and, or maybe not given a second chance or whatever. So I, I, I could get that. I could, I could see why people would feel bad for Jay Simpson. Um, Cullen says, please tell me Jack Elliott isn't the new Keegan Rosenberry. Great for a season. Then we sit him for a year to ensure we – don't miss out on stifling their growth. Well, yeah, but the difference here is that, you know, Keegan Rosenberry sat and Ray Gaddis went in and played for him. You know, Ray being just sort of a veteran, like, flexible, stopgap, kind of, I'm here when you need me, trooper kind of guy. In, in Jack Elliott's case, you're playing Mark McKenzie instead of him. So you're developing a homegrown player at the expense of a second-year guy who showed a lot last year. So, um I don't know. I don't think the Jack Elliott situation is ideal, but it's better than, uh, you know, benching a second year guy with a lot of promise for somebody who's just sort of like there, you know what I mean? Uh, Mike says, uh, Mike Cardamone says, will this finally be the year the union win the U S open cup? I'll say no. Uh, they play Richmond in the first round in June. And at least we don't have another like New York or Rochester or Harrisburg game or whatever the fuck, you know, or Penn FC or whatever they're called now. Was the Dan says was the game against Real Salt Lake real, or is that the typical fly across the country and get bodied because we underestimated the Chester dumpster fires? Uh, no, I, I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, you know, it's hard for those teams to come out here and get results. Um, RSL, I don't think is is the RSL of old, obviously, but the Union Union played well in that game. Um, normally, that doesn't happen until like the summer. You know, it's like July or something. It's really hot, and like Portland travels out here without like Ridgewell and via Fania and like, um, you know, Fernando Adi or whatever. And they put a bunch of like backups in that's, those are kind of the games I'm thinking of, you know, uh, Jesse says is losing Ernie really that big of a loss with the signings he's had. Uh, could we be, we'd be better off with the new GM who might actually pressure management to spend money? Well, I mean, 1.7 for Dogecoin, 1.2 for a com, you know, you had the Tam and stuff thrown in there. So it's hard to get the exact uh, dollar amounts, but no, I think it just goes back to what, what Matt and I were talking about where it's, uh, you know, it's like back end kind of stuff. You know, they have more of a system now. They have an established pipeline to the first team. I mean, like Corey Burke's a success story, you know, Derek Jones is a success story. McKenzie and trusty 
uh, you know, I don't know how much Ernie had a, had a hand in that kind of stuff, stitching all that together, whether that was inevitable based on the groundwork that was put in by Tommy Wilson and, um, you know, Chris Brewer and Jeff Cook and the, the academy coaches. But um, I, I don't know. You, you, you know, obviously if he hit on some more of those signings, it'd be different. So I guess lo- is losing him that big of a loss? No, when you put it that way, it's probably not. Uh, Mike says, did Ernie care at all? That's a rather open-ended question, but it's a good one. Um, yeah, I think he cared. I mean, just just because you have eyes for something else, just because you have your sights set on something else doesn't mean you don't give a shit about what you're currently doing. You know, I think a lot of people in any kind of job that have any kind of self-respect or any kind of motivation or discipline or willpower would probably, um, you know, bust their ass and work hard um, just out of respect for themselves and for the people they work with, you know? Like, I, I don't... Like, towards the end of Channel 3, before I got fired, um, like, it was probably three or four years there that I really didn't give a shit about the product, and I thought we were going down the wrong path, and we were just making terrible editorial decisions and some questionable hires and stuff like that. But I always, like, tried to work my ass off and do a good job, not because I cared about my bosses, but because I wanted to had something to prove something to myself, you know? And I didn't want to be my coworkers to see me as some lazy slob you know, who didn't give a shit. Like you have an, you have to have enough self-respect to, um, you know, to, to work hard and do a good job. And I think that's how, that's how Ernie was, you know, I, I do think he cared. Yeah. Um, pretzel life says, what will Adam Maher's transfer fee be this summer? It'll be too expensive for the union. That's what it'll be. Uh, Eric says the bigger, du- biggest dumpster fire, uh, is it us soccer or the Philadelphia union? It's well, I mean, they got to U.S. soccer has to either shit or get off the pot here because I can't I can't see Sarakin, you know, just fumbling through more friendlies with that without a meaningful plan in place or, um, you know, kind of we, we haven't figured out what we're doing here, what the future is. I mean, it's been how long since Bruce Arena was fired? Has, has it been like a year? I can't I really can't even remember. Um, feels like it's approaching that at least so they got to do do something I'm, I'm done with all that you know i have i have zero interest in uh monday's game at, at talon uh union solomon grundy i don't know who that is is that a cartoon character or something uh he says kevin dino a calm struggles result of formation tactics or just a player slump uh, i mean it's really both he's again i feel like i say this all the time but he's not of course he's not helping himself um but you know he really he still doesn't have a left-sided guy over there who's not. I mean, when, when you look at the right side of the formation, uh, Doge called drifts over there. Bedoya drifts over there. They've had Elsino and Pico playing over there, and Rosenberry gets forward as a right-sided guy. And while they get clumpy and overloaded on the right side, you have guys who are smart in possession there and who can keep keep the ball up there and they can create some stuff in possession. Um, they don't really have that on the left side. You know, Matt Real is green. Fabinho is injured. Uh, and a little reckless at the left side, and the calm to sort of whatever is a speedster kind of dribbles into traps, and might, it might not be the most patient player. So yeah, part of it is on him. But again, I think if you had like uh, guys on the left side who were, uh, you know, had the skill sets or the or the mindsets of like a Rosenberry or a Bedoya or something like that, you'd see a lot of different things. Look, go back and look at the heat maps um, from the story. Uh, I did for crossing broad on Monday and you'll see how, how, when you, you toggle all those left-sided guys together, Madunian in and, and Gaddis and, and whoever the hell is over on the left, they're just not really getting that penetration up the left side of the field. And so there's easy double teams and uh, easy defensive assignments for them on that side. 
Uh, George says, prediction for how many points we take away from the next three matches. I don't even have the schedule in front of me. Red Bull and Red Bull, I'd say zero. Where do they go from there? I can't. I should pull up the damn schedule. Uh, f- I say they lose uh, in Red Bull, and uh, f- let me look up the other thing right now. All right, Red Bull, zero points. Home to Chicago. I think they'll get three there. Chicago's floundering. And then uh, at Atlanta, they'll lose. So three. Uh, you know, and if Chicago steals a draw here, then that's not good. Uh, Alex says, do you expect we'll see rotation with three games in eight days? Uh, or will Jim try to keep the team that's working play through the stretch? Uh, do you think we'll give up either of the harder games to make sure that we beat uh, Chicago at home? Uh, I mean, it's not really in Jim's DNA to to change a lot when they're winning. I mean, you saw in 2016 how a lot of those Saturday-Wednesday games or Wednesday-Saturday games, they would they trusted the sports science and they'd run Pontius and, and Carroll and Craval out there, you know, multiple times uh, in a row. So I think earlier in the season when they weren't winning, it was easier to, to justify making the changes like you saw in Montreal, you know. Um, but this time I think he'll try to keep it more more stable. I think Akam will get a start in there for sure, just because they have more depth on the wings. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. I would start Corey Burke. You know, I, I whatever with, with CJ at this point. I think Corey was a lot better in the Montreal game, you know. Just has more instincts uh, offensively. Um, has more of a nose for goal, I think. Uh, Adam says, will a win on the road in New Jersey this weekend indicate a true turnaround for the team, or will it take more than that for you to buy in on the possibility of their improvement uh, and a chance to actually snag a few road points this year? Well, I mean, I go back to last year. You know, they won four in a row, and they were all beating their chests and, and uh, you know, saying, you know, poo-pooing the fans who had jumped off and, and, you know, the media and stuff like that. But but then we saw what happened. So, no, I mean, it's 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 got to be sustained through June and, and July, uh, you know, because they've – they've shown in the past that they're able to to rip off a couple winning streaks here and there and then it ends up being nothing so uh mr peanut butter thoughts on uh who could replace ernie ollie it's to me it's ollie curtis and nobody else um track record of success making tough tough decisions in new york um you know hiring jesse marsh firing mike petke um i think he was involved with the dax trade i, I believe before he he left up there um you know uh, and Ali Curtis too, good with good with youth, you know, and bringing through some of those younger guys and, and giving them chances to play. Uh, I think that that is a good match for what the union are trying to do. Um, Connor Randall says with Burke available and CJ playing with an injury, who starts at striker on Saturday? Well, I, I, yeah, I just said I'd start um, Corey Burke. Uh, Dickie said, "Holy shit, there's a lot of questions today." Uh, Dickie says, "Was it a situation where Ernie reached out to MLS and they plugged him in Philly?" Or is that how he landed with the union? Or is is that how he landed with the union? Will our MLS fathers provide the next GM? I mean, that's a good question. I I think that Ernie was just trying to get back to the States in whatever capacity he could. And this was probably the job that was open and the job that made the most sense. And it it was low risk. I mean, there really wasn't a lot expected uh, out of him. Remember, people are saying, people are kind of like rolling their eyes because they're saying, what did he do in Philly, whatever. But it's not like he totally failed here you know it wasn't like some high stakes job where he went to Atlanta and they bombed out you know so it was kind of a foolproof thing I mean the bar was was low when he came here you know um you know I was told that he interviewed with Aston Villa uh and Rangers and somebody else messaged me on on Twitter and said that uh Saint-Étienne um in France was the other team that he interviewed with so he had he had other options to stay to 
you know, to manage uh, or to be the sporting director at bigger clubs in Europe, but he decided to come over here uh, instead. And to me, that that tells me if he if if you have Aston Villa and Rangers and Sonny the end uh, on the table, but you decide to go to the Philadelphia Union instead, to me, that's an indicator that he was always it was always more about coming back to the United States with a with a mind to be involved with U.S. soccer somehow. You know, be it be it you know developing kids through this club, or ultimately being with the you know the national team program. Um, I think that says a lot. You know, uh, Kevin says, "Would Ernie leaving actually hurt? Uh, would it feel like starting over again?" No, I mean, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, and even if it's it's just Jim and Chris for a while, I mean, now they've worked with Ernie for two and a half years, and they know kind of what the job looks like, and they've they've learned and evolved and gotten better over the years, but. I know you got to bring in somebody. Well, what I would want more so than somebody who works with the youth uh, setup in this team is somebody who changes their scouting um, territory from Europe to South America. Um, you know, whatever with Doge call, I think he's a good player. Maybe he ends up being a great player this year. But you know, I'd rather them be be mining for the for the Barcos and the Valeris and the the Mauro Diazes of the world. Uh, you know, um, that's just my preference. I think that's that's a better fit for the for the MLS game and those players. You know those those hard to find players down there um, have been more productive than the you know it's harder to find Tranquillo Barnettas you know. Um, Brian says, will Will Smith's resurgence in the rap game <laughs> result in CJ regaining his fresh prince of chest air form from last year? Well, I hope so, but I don't think that that's what's going to happen. Dan Mensch, are the Union going to break our heart again this year? Or do they have some real talent? I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I based on everything we've seen in the past, I would say, yeah, it's probably going to be the same thing. But they do have some better players this year. And if the young defense holds up, then who the hell knows? I mean, you go look at the goal differentials. Yeah, they've only scored uh, 12 goals, but I think they've only allowed 15 this year. And that's, I believe that's top half of the league, but I'd have to pull it up. Um, Austin says, do you think anyone from the union uh, listens to the pod? Um yeah, I, I know that there are a couple like front office like um, Keystone uh, Entertainment em- employees who who have said they listen to the podcast. Um, but if as far as players or you know, Jim Curtin or Ernie Stewart or or Tim McDermott or whatever, no, I I've, I have no idea. Um, but generally, I I've I've found in the past that whether it's the Sixers or uh, the Union or whatever um, Dave and I have covered or written about in the past. Uh, I mean, normally when somebody goes out of their way to tell you that they don't listen to something or they don't uh, read your writing or whatever, they don't pay attention, that they actually do, that they read everything. And then the people who don't say anything at all, they usually don't like read it, you know? So normally when, when somebody like goes out of their way to discredit you and say like, well, I don't read any, like I don't read the Philadelphia Inquirer, but uh, that means that they read like every article that's written about them. So it's just my experience. Um, Matt Bogard, who do you want as the next GM? Uh, I said Ollie Curtis. And uh, the last one here. Okay, last one. Uh, Ezra's Bagel Bistro uh, says, if Ernie becomes the U.S. GM, does that mean Jim is the obvious choice for the U.S. national team head coach? Uh, no, it doesn't. But it's but it's interesting to see what happens um, with Jim. You know, I mean, Ollie Curtis came in and made the really, really, really controversial decision to fire Mike Petke, who was loved by the fans. And I don't know how much you guys remember about that town hall meeting that they had in New York where he he defended uh, that decision and said, nothing against Mike Petke, but I have this vision and Jesse Marsh is a better fit for this vision. And uh, I don't know if anybody can say now that that was the wrong decision. 
Uh, you know, Jesse Marsh now is being talked about as in the mix for uh, jobs at Red Red Bull elsewhere. I don't know if it was Salzburg was the one that came up or or whatever. You know, Leipzig is out there too, but they they think highly of him within the Red Bull umbrella. Uh, people have talked about Jesse Marsh for the national team. Um, you know, Red Bull is a different looking team. He, he kind of, Ali Curtis kind of guided them out of the high priced DP era of the Thierry Henrys and, and whatever. Uh, but Mike, Mike Petke guided that team and, and those egos in that locker room to a supporter shield too. So um, I don't know. It, it's interesting. I, I, you know, if I was Jim Curtin, I'd be sitting here wondering what the, what the hell, you know, um, because he's had the backing of Ernie Stewart for a long time. And, uh, you know, if that is no longer there, what does Jay Sugarman decide to do? You know, does he tell the new GM, hey, we're sticking with Jim here, you keep him on board, or does he give him the full reins to bring in his own guy? Um, and with Curtis, we've seen that he brought in his own guy last time. All right. Thanks, everybody. That was a lot of questions. Um, we appreciate it. Uh, we being uh, Baxter and I. Uh, for Matt to George uh, and Baxter, I'm Kevin Kincaid, episode 49. Um, just a reminder champions league uh final on saturday listen to crossing broad uh fc if you are not we had russ on uh, a couple weeks ago to talk about that and to promote the show that's at crossingbroad.com. uh just go to the top of the page and you'll see podcasts there and click on it and you'll see all the episodes from all the podcasts there and if you like baseball and hockey and all the other stuff too we've got you covered uh, on all of those there uh, so go listen to phil and russ on that one and i did want to mention that we are looking at we have episode uh, number 50 coming up next. So I'd like to do something special for that. I was thinking of trying to do a live uh, a live podcast in the summer uh, somewhere. I don't think it will be for episode 50. Uh, I'm going on vacation for a couple weeks uh, next month, but maybe sometime in July we might be shooting for something. So if you are interested um, in a live podcast somewhere, if you think it's a good idea, um, if you have any ideas, uh, yourself, uh, locations, um, anything, just uh, give us a shout and, and let me know what you think. We're, we're just trying to gauge interest here because, um, you know, it is episode 50. You know, we have a, a you know, pretty loyal fan base, people who, who listen all the time. But it, but it's a small group of people. You know, I, I don't, I'm not going down uh, like Spike to uh, Xfinity Live and getting 10,000 people to roll in there to watch uh, ping pong balls, you know. So, uh, you know, that said, if you're interested in a live podcast or you think it's a good idea, uh, let me know and we'll gauge feedback and we'll see where it, uh, where it takes us from, uh, from there. But in the meantime, uh, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend and we'll see you next time.